Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths three times a week in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. This is Season 5, Episode 38, How to Free Yourself from a Destructive Relationship with a Narcissist. That narcissistic image, they won't let it in. They won't let themselves be vulnerable. That, that image is a shield of sorts. And so having that understanding and awareness, maybe we're doing it ourselves, maybe someone else is doing it, but understanding that dynamic can really save us a lot of pain and suffering. Are you stuck in the vicious cycle and relationship with the narcissist? Or maybe in the victim cycle after you've left the narcissist? Discover the unknown advice that will help you get unstuck and regain your power back and embolden you to move forward. Our guest today, Andrew Daniel, expands upon this uncomfortable topic of recognizing the elephant in the room of about your narcissistic avatar traits and taking responsibility for your own shadow. This truly is key, he and I agreed, to getting unstuck from the destructive cycle of either being stuck in that victim mentality where you just want revenge and you rehash the past and getting unstuck from that relationship with the narcissist and stop perpetuating the cycle and learning how to get your power back and move forward and feel free and thrive. He is an award-winning and international best-selling author and director at the Center of Cinesomatic Development. His Cinesomatics workshops are held internationally from New York to London, Tuscany to Switzerland, helping professionals see the elusive patterns that hold them back. This methodology leads the world in a cinematic movements, diagnostics, and advanced intuition development, integrating approaches from embodiment, shadow work, therapy, and spirituality. His book, Awaken to Your True Self, is a Golden Nautilus Book Awards recipient and number one Amazon bestseller in the U.S. and U.K. So many beautiful credentials, and he certainly was a pleasure to talk to. So let's dive into the conversation. Hey, Andrew, thank you for being here. Hi, Raven. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I got to preview a bit of your book last night. I was reading it and I'm going to read some more. And it's just amazing to kind of hear how raw and authentic you are about you've done so much of this self-improvement journey and all the spiritual things. And you're like, and then (laughs) like I had a best-selling book and then I was homeless, like what the heck happened? And in your mind kind of went into a deeper dive into how to find yourself being unstuck. So share with us a bit about that journey. Yeah. So I've been in personal development, self-help, transformational stuff as a, as a receiver of it, as someone who's been in it in myself for at least 15 years. And through that whole journey, I was healing a lot of childhood trauma, of bullying, made fun of low self-esteem, all of this kind of stuff. 
I was likely em- empathic and I just had no context for it, had no idea what that was about. I'm just yeah. like, I just want to love people. And I had warts on my fingers. And so when I was really young, I had warts on my fingers and that sort of set the stage for a lot of bullying, a leper sort of story archetype that played through an undesirable and unwanted, Mm. uh, which set the stage for, you know, from first grade on. And so that set me on this whole self-help transformational journey. And the part that I talk about in the book that you're referring to is way, way far along on that journey where I had learned all this stuff. I was healing. I learned spiritual concepts. I was learning these secrets. I was really having a lot of breakthroughs. My life wasn't reflecting it. So I had all this internal wisdom and knowledge, and then I started to, to teach it. I was I had this publishing deal, and I thought it I thought I had it made. I'm like, finally, I did it. Like, this is huge. And then, yeah, a few months later, I was homeless. And Mm -hmm. that set me on this downward spiral and a journey to really doing what we we would consider shadow work, to really go into the deepest, darkest, darkest parts of myself to start healing and loving from that. And one of the things in that journey that brings me here to your show is my own narcissism. So I learned a lot about narcissism by seeing it in myself first. And so through my own discovery and learning of narcissism for my own healing journey, that sort of set the foundation for the aspects of that I teach in my book. It's not the whole book, but it's one chapter in it where I talk about a different way to look at narcissism, and especially for me, my own narcissism that I had no idea was there. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I think it's it's a tricky balance to balance like, okay, you are a victim, you were abused by a narcissist. So therefore, we're not victim shaming anybody. And of course, you're not going to receive that when you're on the defensive trying to heal from all of that. But then it is interesting, like I know personally, I too have found and recognized as I've done shadow work, we would call them narcissistic traits, right? Like I wouldn't ever label myself as a narcissist, but there are certainly egoic, self-preserving, unhealthy traits that kind of put the, the thorns out, which is what a narcissist does all the time. But I wanted to read a quote before we dive into that, because we're going to delve even deeper into that, what your viewpoint is on narcissism. I wanted to read this quote because it really resonated with me. And this is how I was blind to my own traits, was this quote from Rebecca says, I thought improving meant being more valuable, which meant being more desirable and financially successful, which would ultimately lead to all the things that could make me happier, abundance, love, connection, actualization, and impact. I know I can relate. I'm sure our listeners and paths, you can relate. What is the moment that made you realize that this wasn't what brought you happiness? Well, the, the fundamental idea of where that quote from, comes from, that context that I talk about in my book, is the idea of the narcissistic image. 
And this is something that I never really heard about. It's kind of more a bit in the alternative, holistic, spiritual kind of side, talking about the ego, mm-hmm. not just the the mainstream idea of, oh, I have an ego, I'm arrogant, and more of the spiritual ego, this sort of identification. And so the things that I talked about in that passage, that self-improvement, it came from not an investment in myself, but an investment in my image. And this is what I would call the narcissistic image. And contrary to a lot of maybe mainstream ideas of what we hear, the narcissist is in love with himself. Right. This is this is a very generic. I, I'm sure you and your audience <laughs> understand it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. But in the mainstream world, that's kind of what we hear. You know, this, the, you're narcissistic. You're just in love with yourself. Overinflated well, I, self image. Yeah, right? exactly. That's like the definition. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Well, however, when you dive in deeper, you realize that it's really not the self. And so my book is called "Awaken to Your True Self." The narcissist isn't in love with his true self. He isn't in love with himself. He's in love with an image because him, himself, herself isn't inherently enough. It isn't inherently lovable. And so, well, what do you do? Well, you create an image, a false idol, so to speak, that you then start to worship. Then you start to invest in. Then you start to build up. All right, well then, because you're not enough, you're unlovable, you're broken, you can then put this image out into the world and maybe that'll be lovable. Maybe that image will be enough. And then so just like, and I love this in modern society because it's the perfect analogy, a social media profile, a virtual avatar, right? You build up this Instagram profile of what you think people would find lovable about you, what would get you approval, what would get you attention, what would make you enough. And so we do the same thing psychically, energetically, mentally in our own life. And so we build up this image in order to be enough, to be lovable in the world. However, however, (laughs) coming back to that passage that you quoted, I realized that that image isn't real and nothing real is truly lovable. You can't love something that doesn't exist. And these images of ourselves do not exist. They're ideas, they're concepts. And so I realized I was spending all of this time, all of this work, all of this energy building up this image in order to be lovable, just to find out that it took me further from my true self. It took me further away from who I really was because, well, when you build an image and you worship this and focus on this and give this all your love and attention and then have that be the thing that you want other people to do, it creates this barrier. It creates this distance between who you really are and who you're presenting. And so we think that's going to give us what we want, but ultimately it does the opposite because even if somebody falls in love with the image, even if somebody likes this narcissistic image that we're putting out, we know at the deepest, deepest, deepest levels, that's not 100% exactly who we really are. And then so the imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud comes up, the fear of being found out comes up, all of these things start happening and we don't feel truly seen. 
So this mm-hmm. image is seen, but not who we really are. And so it just starts to cre- fester and create a suffering, even though we have the best intentions to become more lovable. Yeah. I love that. And I'm just resonating and just thinking so much through that. I had so many images. I had the image of Narcissus looking at himself in the reflection, and that was what he created, but then he couldn't leave it. He was just so obsessed with it. And that's the thing. When we're really defensive, when someone says, hey, that doesn't seem quite right or, you know, kind of calling us out on our BS, we get very defensive because, ooh, like, don't don't mess with what we just created because don't mess with our sandcastle. Otherwise, it's going to fall to pieces. Yeah. And yeah. this can happen with the narcissist. And this is where we feel and we really experience that abuse. As an empath who's trying to, to help the other person, we see them. We see their their inner child. We see their vulnerabilities. But then and that can also happen when you're coming out of it. And it's, it's just such a, I feel like it's like walking on a wire, right? Like a, a balancing on a wire between being vulnerable, connecting with ourselves, listening, but not being like abused and listening to the wrong thing, right? Because the narcissist is telling you all yeah. these things and you're so open to it. You're like, yes, you're right. I should do this. It's like, no, like he needs to take responsibility too. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a really interesting dance of like, how do I be? Well, I, yeah, yeah I, I think there's there's a huge discernment piece. And the, the thing it, with empaths and in the world of empathy that I find so many people struggling with is boundaries and discernment. Yeah. The, the being empathic, feeling other people, feeling deeply is an incredible gift. The trouble comes in when we have a big heart that wants to help and sees the best in people, and we're unwilling to set and enforce these boundaries. We have some judgment that, well, it's wrong. We should, you know, maybe we martyr ourselves. You know, all of these things come up to kind of little voices that say, you know, don't set a boundary yeah. for, for various reasons. And so I find that if we can develop that discernment, and enforce those boundaries and understand that we're not being mean, we're not being heartless, we're not being not compassionate. It's incredibly self-compassionate. It's incredibly self-respectful. It's incredibly self-loving to set boundaries and to not get sucked in to someone who's abusing us. And in order to do that, though, we have to have that self-awareness. What are our ties? How do we get hooked in? What's our shadow material that get pulls into it? Maybe we're compensating. Maybe we're martyring ourselves. Maybe we've abandoned ourselves to be loved and approved through our life. And so that's where the narcissistic energies come in and latch on to those parts of ourselves. And then without those boundaries and that self-awareness, that's what leads to the abuse. But yes. being able to walk that, that. Li- yeah, being able to walk that line after setting the boundaries, after having that healing and that discernment, that vulnerability is a huge gift. It's mm-hmm. the vulnerability in the correct context. It's not no vulnerability and shutting down because then you lose intimacy and connection. It's also not wearing that on your sleeve and being vulnerable to everything, even the abusive stuff because then you're going to get hurt. It's 
connecting and having the discernment and the boundaries to feel safe in oneself. And when you're safe and secure and you trust in yourself, then that extends out to the space and the people in the space. And then, you, then you're surrounded by trustable, safe people. And in that context, yes, surrender. Yes, mm-hmm. let yourself be vulnerable to have that connection with somebody else who is also doing the same thing. But mm-hmm. with a narcissist or, or running this narcissistic image, it on purpose prevents intimacy. You cannot, and this is one of the things empaths struggle with a lot, when they're with someone like this, they're craving that intimacy. They're open. They're there. But with that narcissistic image, they won't let it in. They won't let themselves be vulnerable. That that image is a shield of sorts. And so having that understanding and awareness, maybe we're doing it ourselves, maybe someone else is doing it, but understanding that dynamic can really save us a lot of pain and suffering. Hmm. I love that. And before we go to commercial break, I just have to ask you, if you could choose any superpower, which would you choose? Ooh, that's that's a good question. I have some superpowers. Yeah, I think it would be something along the lines of more mysticism. It would be something in the lines of maybe a Doctor Strange kind of thing. When you search Empath and the Narcissist on Amazon for materials to read, what do you find? A whole bunch of pages full of the same title, Um, Empath and the Narcissist. hmm. So how do you determine which book is the one to read? Well, that's up to you. But all I can tell you about my book is it shares snippets of my story of how I didn't always exude confidence. I didn't always have the peace of mind. On the contrary, I emitted a sense of insecurity that was palpable. I people pleased everyone at the expense of my own health. I hated myself and I lashed out when I couldn't take it anymore. And in my book, I relate to you, dear empath, so you can read the words and know that you're not alone. That is the main goal of the book. The second goal of my book is to give you tools that I use to find my strength, to leave the narcissist, and to heal and be on the complete other side of the dark abyss. I am meant to be here on earth to help you heal and transform from your trauma, from being a survivor to a thriver. You gain healing exercises at the end of each chapter. It's a guidebook to heal your childhood trauma. It has effective somatic healing exercises. It has astrology and how to understand and know your true authentic self with a human design chapter, giving you a brief overview of the human design 101. If you wish to feel alive again and take back the power in your life, then scroll up and click the link in the show notes to listen on Audible or buy your hard copy or paperback on Amazon today. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you're going to be wondering, what exactly does my human design chart say about me? Grab your human design unique blueprint reading on a call with me to help you identify how magnificent you are and how unique your energetic blueprint is here and how much you are needed for your empath. That in the link in the show notes at ravenscott.show forward slash shop. So let's get into this narcissistic image. We talked about it a bit. Let's dive even deeper. Tell us about the narcissistic supply 
and objectification and how the conflict that that creates with us impacts. I think you talked a bit about it, how being so vulnerable, but then we're giving them that supply. How do we get used to that, right? That's like a cycle. We give and they take. Yeah, so the let's just define some stuff first here. So the we talked about the narcissistic image, right? So that's it's a it's an image, it's a false idol, it's a mask. You know, just think of it as a persona, it's a persona. It's a mask that that we build or someone else builds or people in general build to the to the point where that becomes the object of love rather than the self. So we all have different masks in certain ways. We we take on certain roles, but this is really when we I start identifying with that image as more lovable than us. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a narcissistic image. So objectification and narcissistic supply go hand in hand. So let's start with objectification. And this is where the narcissist will turn a real living human being into an object in order to use. So what does that mean? Well, people are people. They're not objects. You can't use people. You use objects. People you have to relate to. You're in relationship with. You have intimacy with. All of these kind of things that are different than objects. Objects don't have feelings. You don't have to be concerned about them. When you pick up this this cup, I'm not like, well, did you want to be picked up? What do you feel about this? You know, what are your concerns? What are your needs? What needs do I meet of yours? Whereas with people, those are all things that we need to do in healthy relationships, meet each other's needs, communicate, Mm -hmm. check in, feel, all of this stuff, intimacy. And so in order to advance the narcissist's agenda, in order to feed the egoic image, it needs a supply. And so when we talk about a narcissistic supply, it's essentially all of those objects, all of those people that have been turned into objects through the distortion of the narcissist, then he uses them to meet his needs. And so this comes into a fundamental principle of of my view of narcissism is that when we're doing this or the narcissist is doing this, they are unwilling to be vulnerable. They seek control. However, they still have needs, right? They're not sociopaths. So they do feel people, but they don't want to because that means they are going to hurt them if they use them. So they have to turn people into objects. They have to objectify people. And so because they do that and they're unwilling to feel vulnerability, they're unwilling to be in that vulnerable place, they they instead of letting other people in to meet their needs, right, opening up, being vulnerable, saying, hey, this is what's going on for me. This is where I'm at. This is my vulnerable thing. I need help. And letting the person in and trusting them and surrendering them, surrendering to them in order to meet their needs. Instead of doing that, which requires vulnerability and <laughs> risk, right? Yeah. What they'll do 
is that they'll use the other person to meet their own needs, mm. right? So instead of opening, and maybe I'm doing this if you're listening, I'm, I'm opening my hands, I'm showing this open posture and letting somebody in, being vulnerable. That's the way to do it. Instead of doing that, they're closed, they have the image, they then go outwards and use the object to then bring it back themselves to meet their needs. So they're, quote unquote, meeting their needs without the risks and downsides of being vulnerable, but also without the upsides of intimacy and love and connection and surrender, you know, and all of the (laughs) things that make life worth living and wonderful. Yeah, Uh, very ice cold, ice cold love. And the other person on the end end goes, that was kind of odd. Like, I think that was great. But then like, there's that discard. What? What just happened? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And so this is, you, you bring up, I talk about it in the book, it's a great indicator. If you have an interaction with somebody that is open and letting you, letting you in to meet your needs, when you help them, you feel amazing. You feel like you've been of service. Your heart is open. You feel like philanthropic. You feel generous. When you do this for a narcissist, you're like, Eh, I, eh. <laughs> just like you said, you're like, yeah. eh. I mean, I'm, I, it's nice to help this person, but I, I kind of feel less than rather than greater than from that interaction. Drained, right? I think maybe that's yeah. where the energy vampire yeah. kind of term comes yeah. from. Yeah. And then what I've experienced is then when, let's say it's not even someone who you're romantically with, but somebody you've just met or maybe dating or they're a friend, they call you. And your gut drops. You're like, ooh, big red <laughs> yeah, flag. Big yeah. red flag. <laughs> yeah. What, what what can this person do for me? And then, yeah. And then if they show up for you, they'll only show up for you if there's also something in it for them. Like they're, they're unable to go yeah. into that generosity because their agenda is based on the narcissistic image. That one's such a hard thing to get your head around, especially if it's a family member. For me, it took yeah. a really, really, really long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if that's not how it. you think yourself too, right? It's like... It's so foreign, right? Yeah, to a yeah. lot of us who who are so kind, who aren't warned about all of these signs, who just think that everyone's kind and caring just like we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where the discernment comes in, right? I and love like, that word. And, That's my and, word of the year, by the way. 2023 oh, discernment. Yes. And 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 the thing too is that when we're so loving and open and caring about people, we it's really easy to fall into a martyrdom. And it's really easy to fall into self-abandonment. And when you if you can become aware of that. That when that person calls you, that you start to feel like that's a place you're going, that's a sign. Like you do not need to martyr yourself, uh, betray yourself, or abandon yourself in order to serve, in order to love other people. That's a huge flag. Sometimes it has to do with them, and sometimes it has to do with us. Yeah, and it's a self-reflection like, oh, did I not put up enough boundaries and communicate clearly or Am I answering the phone too much or am I texting back right away, right? Because if you start to slowly put up those boundaries and you're less available, then you're less available supply for them. And then you're not experiencing, you're not getting pulled into that cycle and the, the drama. Yeah. And 
And if we're going to go even deeper, so this is where things start to get into the, sh- the shadow work of ourselves. What is it in ourselves that we've distorted in order to answer the call metaphorically? Not necessarily literally the call, but what is it within ourselves that leads us to want to abandon ourselves? Yeah. And that's when the real healing start- starts to happen because we say, oh, gosh, yeah, my father was abusive or my mother abandoned me. And so I developed this survival strategy, didn't even realize it, that I'm needing this validation and approval and connection. And this is just the same dynamic that I had with my parents. This is the same thing that's happening. And so being able to go in and seeing that wound and healing that, you won't even need to start setting all these boundaries because it's just, you're just not going to be, that hook is not there. And so they'll find someone else to pray on. Yes. I love that. And a a real life scenario, as you're saying that I'm completely relating happened recently so I can explain how I felt. And I had this aha moment. Like I, I put a big hard stop to this whole interaction and I went into myself. I said, what am I putting out energetically that is allowing this person to think that they could ask certain things of me that were just over the line and constantly sucking my time. And I had to really go deep in and it was like, well, I've always wanted to be the hero, right? Which is a bit of that narcissistic image. I always want to feel needed. And that goes Mm. back to childhood wounds of not being loved or liked or all the things, right? Just like that quote I read, being someone who needed validates my existence versus just me being me validates my existence. And it was, it was a big aha moment and a hard one to come to, but it's, it's that beautiful shadow work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's profound. Cause you, cause you say, all right, this is, this is where I'm showing up in this dynamic. And that's the only thing that we have control with. And I think this is a, a good place yeah. to, to kind of conclude this whole this whole conversation about, it's also the hardest part for most people. And this is another topic I talk about in the book is about the victim mentality. Yeah. And tell us about the stuckness. Yeah. Yeah. The the stuckness in this victim mentality. What I'm not talking about is just being a victim to something that happened, right? You're just there and something happened and it was awful. What I'm referring to about the victim mentality is a chronic, consistent, image of self as being a identified as a victim. And just like with the narcissism, it's like you can have narcissistic traits, but it doesn't make you a narcissist. You can have things happen to you outside of your control without it defining you as a helpless victim. And so, again, this is really hard for a lot of people because what it requires is responsibility. And so responsibility is the cure to the victim mentality. And it's not about taking responsibility away from somebody else. It's not saying I blame myself and they're off the hook. Definitely not, right? Definitely not. They are completely responsible for their abuse and their part. And we're also responsible for how we showed up and what we bring to the table. And so when we can start looking at that with a really honest and courageous lens, we can start seeing the places that we can start healing. 
And so that healing comes from taking accountability and responsibility for either how we created the situation or if that's too far, how we continue to keep that alive, how we respond to these situations in our life. And I found that whether it's politically correct or not, whether it's nice and friendly or whatever, that the more responsibility we do take, the more empowered we become. Even if it seems outrageous that just the willingness to take responsibility anyway reclaims our power. So the responsibility is the way to reclaim the power that we've unknowingly given away to somebody else or the idea of somebody else or the situation. And so it doesn't absolve the other person or change anything about the circumstance. What it does is it gives us the power and the ability to make a new choice, to live a new life, to actually change how we feel in our situation in the world. And that's the most important part, that we reclaim our power and we can choose a new destiny. We don't have to stay a perpetual victim. We can make a new choice, take responsibility, and show up in the world in a new way. And that is going to be, I would consider, the the outcome, the way out of the healing process. Beautifully said. That is the way out of where we're stuck right now. We're awakened to all of this narcissism around us. How do we collectively shift out? It's that. And it just as another real life example, it reminds me, I'm in a group chat, which I don't participate in often because it's very low vibey victimhood <laughs> stuck type of a group chat. I try and be in there to be Sounds supportive, fun. <laughs> but it's really not fun. I, I yeah. really avoid going. I'm going to go in there maybe like once a week just to be there try and share my light. But there was this person I was talking to. She wasn't ready to accept her responsibility. So the example is you can have money stolen from a family member and you could feel like there's no way out. And she stole your credit card and she did this. How could a mother be so horrible? Correct. How could a mother be so horrible? However, I have a couple of things that you could have done in hindsight to take power back in your life is Check your bank account regularly, couple every couple of days or once a week. If you see strange activity happening in there, then start to hide or lock away your wallet. Number one would be a thought, right? Like there's different things that you can take responsibility moving forward. Start making money. Get a job that pays you. Protect your assets so that eventually you can move out, right? These are all things versus feeling like you need to get revenge, taking her to court, which really won't hold up because the judge will be like, well, why did you not hide your wallet? Like, why did you let her steal it? Da, 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 da. Take back your power without that negative revenge. This is the aspect where I'm trying to illustrate, like how to take back the power and how to apply your responsibility, which like you said, Andrew, it's very hard. That's why I'm sure some people are being triggered right now. Like, how could you even, <laughs> how could you even say this? Her mother was so horrible. But what I see on the outside, what I see on this farther end of the spectrum out where I now don't really claim that I'm a victim. I just am a survivor of narcissistic abuse because I take responsibility for my part of how I let him treat me. That's triggering too. But I did stay (laughs) for very 
specific reasons, like you had stated, my narcissistic image fed into his negative narcissistic image. And we kind of tangled like that for a while until he started to wake up. So I guess what I'm trying to express is there's a way to see your responsibility in it. And that is the way to gain your power back. Because she's going to sit there all day and talk about how she needs to contact a lawyer and how does she get her money back? Like she's looking back, right? You can't get that money back. Look forward. How do you get the money now? How do you move out now? How do you get separated? And I think the big key with what you're saying is part of the responsibility part is the lesson. And so if you don't learn the lesson and make new choices, right? You say, oh, well, I can't trust my mom. I need to get a job. I need to move out. Like these are all things and choices that you are the only one that can do that you have the power to. You can't change your mom. You know, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> should, you know, should she be loving and all of this stuff and honest? Absolutely. Like yeah. it's terrible. However, it, good luck changing her, right? So good yeah. luck, good luck changing or rescuing anybody. You have the most power and control with yourself and your choices. So it's not about victim blaming. It's not about feeling sorry for herself. It's not about revenge. It, it's about how do we actually take the power back so we can have a great life mm-hmm. so we don't get hurt again, so we don't get taken advantage of again without closing off because that's that's one of the keys. Some people will find a way to protect themselves, but they'll shut out love. They'll shut out other people. They'll create walls and barriers. Their heart will be closed off again. And mm-hmm. if you're an empath and you shut off feeling and you close yourself off from all of that connection – you're going to get sick. Like, like that's, that's like, you know, not yeah. feeling yourself or other people is, is the, the death to an empath. And so how do you heal from this? So you can love and be, remain open with the discernment, with the boundaries, learning the lessons, taking your power back and being able to live a life moving forward where that stuff doesn't happen again. And then you can be an example for other people. And that's how you can change. That's how you can help and heal others is by being that example yourself first rather than being codependent or rescuing or getting back or any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Share with us again the title of your book and where we can find it. The book is called Awaken to Your True Self, Why You're Still Stuck and How to Break Through. Hmm. You can find this on Amazon. Everything's on my website, andrewdaniel.org. Perfect. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate you being here. And yeah, thanks for sharing your superpower. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Raven. I appreciate it. Hmm. So the key is to let go of the ego, allow yourself to reassess Why am I attracting this particular pattern? And go within yourself to find that part of your shadow, to be able to release it and to nurture it and say, it's okay, I got this, you don't need to protect me. And being able to shift into a more loving and balanced energy. And this whole topic we talked about today really reminds me of episode 19 regarding echoism titled... Five Ways to Rebuild Your Life After Narcissistic Abuse and Rise Up from Echoism. So if you want to dive into this topic a little bit more with my 
solo teachings and my opinions about this, go ahead and listen to episode 19. If you want a personal help in gaining clarity, your authentic power back, and healing to be rid of the narcissist for good, join our empath community. You receive weekly inspiration and strategies to heal from narc abuse and understand your unique human design energy blueprint. And as soon as you're in, I'll gift you your human design reading with your type, strategy, and inner authority. So join now and get your reading within 24 hours. I'm so grateful for you listening, finding the show, and sharing it with your friends. It would give a great boost in the heart-centered algorithm to rate and review this podcast if you are enjoying it. Take a screenshot, share it on your socials, share it in a text message to a friend that you know right now needs to be pulled out of the quicksand. And remember, always keep your unique light shining. Losing time, I'm fading fast. I just wanna make it last. Try to let go of the past. I close my eyes, embrace the blast. Sleepless nights and headaches stack. Restlessness to hell and back. What's my purpose? What do I grab? A slippery surface, a heart attack. And sometimes you just gotta believe. There's something that'll give you relief. There's something that'll have what you need. What you need We're broken, it's tragic We're not all elastic But maybe there's magic